My name is Alex McPhee. I live in Valmarie, Saskatchewan, population 120, gateway to Grasslands National Park. And I am an independent cartographer, sole proprietor. Usually I reflexively say I publish maps for a living, but hopefully because this is a specialist podcast, you guys will already know what cartographer means. And for that, I am very grateful. Can you remember your first map? Only dimly. I'm pretty sure that my first first map would be a doodle on my desk when I was something like seven or eight years old. I've always had an interest in fictional maps in particular, and that hobby has been with me longer than any of my commercial activities have. Was the map you scratched on the desk a fictional map? Yes. Uh, I think I, I, w I remember being inspired by all the odd little population symbols on the Alberta road map. So I remember wanting to expand on the library and I, I came up with some more elaborate ones that had no function whatsoever and didn't communicate any quantity. For reference, the Alberta roadmap of the time had an unusually diverse array of symbols. So there were circles with little X's in them, concentric circles, empty circles, and they served such a strong differentiating purpose for towns of different populations that I guess I couldn't help but want to read more meaning into them than was really there. So that's, uh, I guess that's, that's my introduction to semiotics when I was seven. <laughs> At that time, I think I was starting to become aware for the first time that other places existed. I remember learning that there were new towns, of course, just new suburban developments that they, that ended up being like surprisingly disappointing compared to a child's understanding of what a new town should look like. But I, I insisted that my parents take me out to one of these new towns like on the on the urban fringe of where I grew up. And, uh, uh, gosh, I, I sure, I sure was indulged a lot. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm glad it, I'm glad it turned out there was a good chance it might not have. You were disappointed in the new towns and that they were just, you know, fresh asphalt and a strip mall. Yeah, no, you know, no little post office, no little fruit stands, hardly anything Richard scary about it. Like... <laughs> Uh, I didn't really go about my young life with a sense of destiny that I would be a cartographer one day. Uh, my, my childhood dream job, which I still kind of have actually, is I always wanted to be a cartoonist. Uh, I really respected the people who drew newspaper comics. And uh, so that's so funny. I know like I'm really, I'm really lucky to be working as a cartographer now, and I really enjoy it. But I'm also, I'm also fast to tell people that um, what I, what I, my, my dream job when I was ten years old was was actually a little different. So I went. I've been through, I've been through many, many hobbies over the years. I've, I'm still not quite better at figure drawing than I am at cartography, but. Uh, starting in starting in undergrad in university, I got in university I discovered GIS and Inkscape and the world of digital mapping, and I was really lucky because that also coincided with a huge rise in open data. So for the first time ever, of course, I was most interested in the areas around me, 
And for the first time in history, all of this data about my city and my province and my country uh, was more or less free to use for any random schmuck. And so as, as a random schmuck, that was super fortuit. That was, well, it was really lucky. Uh, I'm not sure I would have gotten into any of this if it wasn't for the availability of what we have in the open source world right now. Okay, so you discovered GIS in college, and uh, were you making maps for fun, or the departments used you to make cute maps, or did you start doing it more seriously? Yeah, so... It was all for fun. I was I was entirely self-taught. My degree program was physics, which is interesting, but doesn't have the most natural GIS tie-in. So I was just learning the software strictly for hobbyist stuff. I remember like this was something I would do during lectures. So uh, the things I was supposed to be paying attention to, well, um, I have a much harder time describing those to you now. But uh, I took a couple GIS courses, but actually I hated them because the, your intro GIS course for science students is pretty much all about becoming familiar with the program. So uh, that was that was such a total that was such a total write off for me. Like I was already so familiar with QGIS, and I was I was able to become proficient enough with the teaching copy of ArcMap that was in currency back then. Um, I got totally taken by surprise by the smaller theoretical components of the course. So, uh, which I, I blew off because the, the introduction was also like all stuff I already knew backwards and forwards. So at some point during the semester, the theoretical components of that GIS class got uh, a, little, a little out of my depth. And so I can proudly say that in my first GIS class ever, after teaching myself GIS, I I got a B minus. But the final GIS course I took in university actually went quite well because that was uh, that was a higher level. I finally did something higher level. It was more project based, and it turns out that when it comes to delivering big GIS projects and conceiving and executing them. Uh, it turns out I actually am good at that. So I got a little bit of recognition for my coursework, but uh, these were all these were all options. I graduated with a bachelor's in geophysics, which uh, tangentially, I learned some interesting basics about two-dimensional scientific image processing. And that comes up in my work more often than I thought it would. So I don't regret the geophysics degree. But um, my but my background in GIS is very uh, my formal background in GIS is very incidental. I am still almost entirely self-taught. I uh, like what you said that two D image processing came up again. Is that do you mean like with the relief presentation? And yeah, that's the that's the number one thing I've managed to use it for. Um, currently, my latest. My latest wall map went to print with an original relief shading algorithm. Uh, I say original, I was able to come up with it because uh, Nasus's journal published some very detailed instructions about how to do a normal map generalization. So I started with those, 
but uh, I, I also was able to add my own original twist uh, using some of my signal processing background. I wrote my own local contrast enhancement algorithm that pumps up isolated low amplitude features. This, this is all in Python. So uh, Python isn't a very elegant thing to know. And I'm sure my implementation is not winning any awards, but uh, I did uh, I did get to proudly use the basics from about the third year of my geophys education. So you got rewarded at both ends. You dicked around in the lecture making maps and paid just enough attention to roll your own uh, generalization algorithm. Yeah, the I guess the only place I really lost out was having to use MATLAB in undergrad. I'm sorry, I don't like MATLAB very much. And I have not touched it at all since I've been out of there. <laughs> Can you give me a uh, not so brief end to end of, say, your latest uh, Saskatchewan map? My answer might start out brief, but don't worry, it won't stay that way. I've been doing a lot of my own salesmanship. Uh, I've been doing trade shows for the first time this year. So that has been really helpful for having a 20 second explanation of what the hell I do. But. So my favorite thing in the world when I'm not taking other contracts or doing other useful things is I put out really big wall maps. Currently, I've stuck to the Canadian provinces. My first one was Alberta. My second one was Saskatchewan, which is next door. I still haven't decided whether number three should be British Columbia or Manitoba. And um, some possible clients have vested interests in either one, so I shouldn't say much more. But so I design huge wall maps. I have to do it on my own time because these are about thousand hour projects. So nobody will ever pay me to put that amount of time into anything. And I try to, the, these are reference maps. So I try to make them show a little bit of everything. I start by traveling as much as I can because travel people, I, I often get asked, like, are, basically, are you a surveyor? And of course, I always say, no, surveyor is actually one of those jobs where there's legal consequences for claiming that you are one. So I, I have I have very little need to do any physical data collection myself. But I do a lot of what I would call cultural data collection. I visit as many small town museums as I can. I drive as many different highways as I can. That gives me a sense that I find hard to replicate just from reading books or browsing the internet. That, that gives me a sense of the place. I learn about the landmarks, the weird, huge, th abandoned things you see out the window, the industrial, the political history of a place. And that's, that helps me. Um, so for instance, so for instance, in Saskatchewan, there's a lot of really big salt mines in this province that have enormous spoil piles at the surface that can usually be seen for like 10 or 20 miles away. So uh, I just had base the first time I ever drove through Saskatchewan, I knew, okay, these salt mines are huge. All of them are going to go onto the map. Um, wind farms go on there. 
these and visiting those museums really comes in handy because not not every small town museum can feasibly be put onto a wall map even a really big one but by visiting as many of them as possible i can make the very subjective judgment call of which of these museums are actually worth seeing so a, lo a lot of what goes into my maps is actually just my personal travel recommendations like this is where i think you should go if I've been there and I thought it was worthwhile, then I've put more detail into it. And that's um, that's that's the kind of thing that's, being a cartographer is so funny because the public trusts you so much. Uh, ma like maps get believed at a glance more than anything else maybe on earth. So, oh, only other cartographers truly appreciate like how arbitrary and how subjective all of these design choices are so uh so i hope i hope the listening audience is, is like oh it's it, you know it's so great that you've done such a personal job of curating all these different tourist spots because um i always think like um I thought I would get in more trouble for including and not including things in this career. But if anything, I've just been like shocked at how at how much the public is willing to roll with that, like whatever I put on the page is true. So behind behind the scenes that behind the scenes, so much of it comes down to a judgment call and I, I pride myself on having gotten good at making those kinds of judgment calls through experience. Um, <clears throat> then there's also the physical stuff that, uh, and then there's, all, then there's also all of the physical and political boundaries that go on there. So uh, I'm all, of course, I'm always looking for the best available DEMs to the public, uh, the newest and most, the newest and best and most method methodologically robust land cover classifications. Uh, I check through legal gazettes once a year to see what the big changes to boundaries, parks, cities, municipalities are. And I know that what I put out will, I know that what I put out will start experiencing entropy almost immediately. When I published my Alberta map, I think literally two weeks after it came back and I started shipping it, an entire one of Alberta's counties was eliminated. It was it was forced to merge with its neighbor. So, uh, so of course, trying to keep anything current is a losing battle. But I also I also do a lot. I try to do as much work as possible into anticipating. I read a lot of local news articles. I pay attention to where public consultations are happening. That lets me anticipate the about the next year of major boundary changes with very with varying but usually pretty good success. I know my Saskatchewan map went to print with a name change that is not official yet and is not reflected in any signage yet. But as of this writing, things are still on track for that name change to go ahead without any wrinkles or hiccups. Knock on wood, because that's just the kind of thing you don't want to be saying. <laughs> that's just the kind of uncertain thing that you don't want to brag about too much. But 
Um, so I try to look ahead about a year. And then I also try to look back about 200 years in my region. There's a lot of really fascinating, interesting things I can say about Indigenous geography, which is a, which is a subject that I do a lot of other contracts in as well. But for the purpose of my reference maps, I keep it to, uh, I emphasize Indigenous governments and Indigenous peoples as they are currently politically organized. So I made the decision not to try and show any traditional or pre-contact territories on my map because there's already so much other content post-contact that also is not frequently talked about and which I think is, and which I put a lot of effort into, into promoting and making a little more visible than it currently is on the competition. I don't, I, I, I'm pretty sure there's only one company right now that makes any kind of Saskatchewan wall map period. And I believe it's just a highway map. So I don't, um, I, I try not to get too aggressive. I don't think we even have the same business model, but uh, so I focus more on, so I focus more on the last 100, 200 years of indigenous legal history. And, um, that's um i've done a lot of original research for things like treaty boundaries uh those are surprisingly poorly gis sized nowadays the federal governments the canadian federal government's treaty boundary sources that are publicly available right now are crap and you can quote me on that so i went back to the original legal texts just to get a handle on what the hell was being described by any of these landmarks and meets and bounds. And I also went back, I also went back that amount of time on railway history as well, which it turns out is one of my biggest selling points. Uh, farmers love trains. So I've also, I've gone, for instance, I've gone through the last hundred years of grain terminal licensing books. And uh, if I, I never regret spending the time on that because when I'm at a trade show, I just say I've gone through the last hundred years of green elevator licensing books and farmers at a trade show know exactly what that means. And <laughs> as soon as I say every grain elevator, that's what makes them buy it. So uh, if you just take the first and the 10 seconds and the last 10 seconds of what I just said, that's my 22nd trade show pitch. But, <laughs> uh, but other, otherwise, I hope this gives you more insight about what the hell I spend my thousand hours doing. But other selling points, let's see. Um, if, you if anyone has a passing familiarity with Saskatchewan, which is not something I expect, uh, don't worry. Like many Canadian provinces, we have a very sparse north. 95% uh, of Saskatchewan lives in the southern half of the province. And that's because the northern half of the province doesn't really have topsoil. And it's also even colder than the southern half. So there's a big disparity between the two halves of Saskatchewan. And... 
that that put me in an interesting position because almost all of my clients have been in the South. Um, even given the North's small share of the population, I have sold even fewer maps than the population would suggest in the North because the North is majority Indigenous, it's poorer, uh, there's less disposable income and less, uh, less luxury vacation homes and other things that, other things that denote the average wall map buyer so almost all of my customers are in the south but the north takes up about half of my page so i put a lot of work into trying and make the north look as engaging as possible to an audience that's largely going to be unfamiliar with that region so uh, and that's gone well that's gone well as well because what i've learned at trade shows is that a lot, very many Southern Saskatchewanians have at least spent a couple vacations in the North, always fishing. Uh, fishing is the number one activity in Northern Saskatchewan. It helps that it's enormous. So pretty much any lake you can make it to in Northern Saskatchewan is going to be extremely underexploited. So there's also an, there's also an industry of at least 150 fly-in fishing lodges in the north all of them like and there's enough tourist pressure to actually keep all of these things in business um the north comes alive in the summer with wealthy americans chartering little float planes to go up to their favorite preferred secret out of the way lodge in northern saskatchewan so um, and some of those lodges are so secret that they would most likely kill me for giving away where they are. They don't even, they are so secure with their current clientele that they don't even solicit new customers. So, um, that's, that's a fun, so that's a, that's a fun map making issue for cartographers. Um, if a business is trying to keep itself secret, don't go out of your way to expose it. They might be upset, but as far as I know, I put together I've been able to put together a complete listing of every every fishing lodge that is soliciting customers. And um just that task was fun because most of them have websites. A few of them don't. Many of them are members of the Provincial Outfitters Association, but not all of them are. Some of them I actually only track down because they have food service licenses. So all you have to do is go through the health and safety database of active food service licenses and just look into all the northern ones. And that's how you'll find a lot of your out-of-the-way fishing lodges. Uh, I got to do some open source intelligence style uh, decoding of... Quite a few lodges do not like to give away their exact location on a lake for some reason. Uh, usually I think it's just that they don't expect people are looking for them, but some of them I think are being a little secretive on purpose. I would literally go through their Facebook pages looking for plane photos, which they have. Um, it's a, For their promotion, they have to show wealthy Americans walking on and off of the float planes. And I would literally just look in the background for like 
distinctive headlands and shoreline details and <laughs> uh with with effort i got every single one of them too um but uh, another another fun fact is that all my waterways are drawn by hand because generalizing networks is an unpleasant task uh, we have the Canadian government has already put together various hydrological inventories over the years, but none of them is at the exact scale I needed for this map. So I decided the best thing to do after lots of frustrated earlier attempts to adapt them without to adapt them like through post processing, I decided Saskatchewan was going to be the map. I just started from scratch. All of my water bodies are imported from an earlier inventory but my water courses that connect them are all drawn in by hand uh it's just so difficult to it's just so difficult to get a computer to trim that kind of thing down at a particular level of detail and so doing all the water courses by hand it helped me make a kind of a it helped me make the ideal network so only visible lakes are connected I, I didn't have to show any water courses that connected water bodies that are too small to make the cut. Uh, it also let me make, make sure that every named waterway was shown. Because which waterways have names, it's arbitrary. There's lots of large unnamed creeks that beat small named creeks on flow volume or consistency or any of that stuff. But for the, for the purpose of making a wall map, the just just having a name is enough that that makes you more notable so i was able to make something that doesn't always follow like a strict hydrological hierarchy uh, but my my hand-drawn waterways show what i think is the most important and necessary for interpreting the map and then nothing else on top of that because overly detailed water bodies show up in so many fast and loose GIS maps of Northern Canada. Uh, that is such a pet peeve for me. I, and I, I've, I've worked with it long enough to know that it's unavoidable, which is why it keeps happening, which is why it's a pet peeve. Like our elections regulating agency is not going to hire me to make them a, a nicer looking lake shape file for good reason, but so all but trust me all of the things that personally annoy me about other maps have been dealt with on mine so so between the hand-drawn creeks and the custom relief shading because there's a lot of otherworldly landscapes in our subarctic uh, that just have no parallels or analog with anything in the populated part of north america uh, and between all the fishing lodges and all the parks and all of the fur trapping licenses, that's an unusual kind of boundary that my map has. Um, most fur trappers are actually, it's a hereditary business. It's something you usually train up your kids on. And so all of the land in the north is public, but the fur trapping licenses are given out kind of like feudal grants. Like if you're a, if you're if your parent has the license, then I believe it's, I believe there's like a point-based application, but having a parent already active is like plus 50. So we have this interesting like kind of feudal system for fur trapping in the north. And 
all of those little territories are also on my map and I wish I had I, I still would like to spend more time up there to see how much that impresses the locals because uh, if it doesn't then I haven't done a good enough job but yeah so between the water and the relief shading and the lodges and the boundaries and the protected areas I expect I have tried my hardest to bring that half of the province to an audience for whom it is not the primary selling point. So it's been kind of a fun, it's been a fun task. It's also been kind of a sensitive one because I'm being trusted to interpret a landscape that I also have not spent the majority of my life in. So it's, it's yet another cool cartography moment. Like, the public is giving me a huge amount of trust on this and oh only i know how little stands between me and completely screwing it up so <laughs> uh, i have done my best but uh oh yeah there are you know what it I wouldn't rather be doing anything else, uh, except I except I always wanted to be a cartoonist. I already said that. But if I was a cartoonist, I'm sure I would have just the same uh, neurotic attention to detail as I do at this job. So, did you log a bunch of mi as many miles in the south as in the north, uh, con confirming your OSINT fishing lodge locations and trap boundaries and looking at the moonscapes? Sadly, no. Um, I have been, I'm an undergrad, I was able to travel a fair amount in other parts of the north. Uh, I have been to, I have been to some fly-in communities, but Saskatchewan was also a COVID project and the fly-in only majority indigenous parts of Canada were able to seal themselves off overnight. So um longer longer even than the rest of the continent uh accessibility to the north was very difficult and fraught for a couple of years so it was a good chance it was a good time for me to sit down and spend a lot of hours on an indoor project but it also means that i didn't get to travel for saskatchewan as much as i did for alberta and as much as i would have liked to but the joke's on me because sales have been robust enough that actually now I can justify driving to trade shows around the province. So uh, I am I am seeing I am seeing more places this I'm starting to see more places this year than I have in years past. And because the map is already published, um, if I go by something and I missed it, or God forbid I I spelled it wrong, like oh i really don't want to know that but i i i still love traveling so even if i do have to live with the shame of having spelled anything wrong it's still worth it to be out there the cartographer's magic words current as of date and that absolves you of a whole lot there's only one really embarrassing mistake on my saskatchewan map but I will say that I ran into the local person who I least wanted to see it. So um, at a trade show, 
So normally I'm like, hey, welcome to my table. I'm the map guy. But when I read this guy's name tag, I was just like, mm, I have done something you're responsible for. I have done very dirty. Like it, it would not be honorable to let you see my table. I'm sorry, sir. Wait, what did his name tag say? I oughtn't give any more details about such things, but I've been, um, part of my sales strategy has I've been going to um, various conventions for like public administrators and pe people with like local responsibilities in various capacities. So this this was someone who was overseeing something that I know that I spelled wrong, but all I can say is uh, version two coming to print very soon. Reasonable shipping rates within North America. Already? Yeah, I'm, I'm almost out. I ordered 2,000 copies. Right now I have 150 left. No way. You've sold more than 1,800 of these? I've also ruined a few hundred, but yes. That's incredible. For um, are they mostly on? Are they mostly online sales, or you know, the tubes in your van that you drag to these shows? Online direct has been the has overwhelmingly been the leader, um, and my laminated maps are much more popular than my unlaminated maps, even though I charge a ten dollar premium. I was really lucky to get put on conservative talk radio around Christmas time, and uh, that was new for me. Um, these were circles that I do not customarily move in, but, uh, little did I know that some major names in conservative talk radio before anything else they may do or espouse, they're also rail fans. I, I had some really in-depth questions about those abandoned branch lines live on air. And uh, thank God, I <laughs> thank God it's a thousand hour project. So I was ready with the answers and um, I got treated pretty good by radio last Christmas time. Uh, I actually got put on the role of like, I actually got put on the role of interviews that got replayed for the days when the station was off the air over the holidays. So um which is hilarious like this is a this is a map it's a i always thought it would sell itself if only people could look at could like take a get a glimpse of it and no my number one driver of sales this year has been radio so it actually doesn't matter if it stands on its own and if 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 it wins people over at a glance uh, all that matters is that uh, someone trustworthy just has to say that it's a great product and that's just as good so a map pretty enough for radio yeah <laughs> but also the reach um saskatchewan is still very much a place where radio is king because it's the easiest kind of media to be exposed to in your tractor so my rural sales have gone my rural sales have been way above my urban sales. I always thought that I was making a product that was really like for the intelligentsia. And based on my postal codes, that was completely wrong. Uh, I have done way better 
I have done way better with like with all things agriculture like uh, farmers have the money to buy it um, implement and chemical salesmen need it because when they situate themselves in a new place to do their sales they need to have a 15 second overview of like where the of where the tracks used to be uh, so one one of the one of the coolest things about going to trade shows is that the other trade show vendors have been buying my map because um not a lot of people come to these things in order to sell a retail product but you know if you're in the business of selling heavy equipment to municipal councils like having a nice municipal map in your office is really appealing so uh, I had one very good trade show where I sold out. I brought, I filled my, I filled my little Jeep with as many maps as it can hold, which is 87. And they were all gone by the end of the second day and people fought over my display copy that was on the table that had been scuffed to hell by everyone else's fingers. So that was, um, so that's, that's all been pretty surprising. I mean, um do i mean doing this stuff is really its own reward but it's been a new world just building on what i currently have and so uh, of course like many successful self-employed people um a lot of what i do now is you know i'm doing a lot of bookkeeping and longer term planning and what and i'm spending less time on product development which is the thing i love the most that got me into all this so that's been fascinating but it's all i'm you know in the out of all the problems in the world to have of course it's one that i'm lucky that, that i i'm lucky to be suffering from so so i'm I've, i'm hope i i'm always excited to talk about the map business with people because what I set out to do with this was weird. Like I had no reason to believe that being a self-proclaimed Walmart publisher would go anywhere, but um, just tap. But suddenly, being tapped into some of these channels has just been crazy. Like Saskatchewan is a small place. It's the North Dakota of Canada. Its population is one point two million. So, having sold like what's my number i did um because i live in a rural area any offset print run getting trucked here does have a convoluted journey so i think something like between three and four hundred maps ended up being unsaleable because of scuffs incurred in shipping but yeah um out of 1.2 million people selling 1400 copies of a map is insane so um I guess business tip number one, it really helps if you live somewhere that's self-interested. <laughs> self-interested? Like just by dint of you being there, it's interesting? Honestly, one of my favorite NASIS conversation topics, that's the North American Cartographic Information Society. They put on an annual industry conference, as you may know. Um, one of my favorite conversation topics is like any company that sells maps of the 50 states, I've said, I always ask, what are your breakouts? And the answer, if you ask that to every company that's willing to blab about it, is surprisingly consistent. 
uh, the Mountain West is more popular. Uh, people, uh, I think often, I, I, I suppose they must be selling to non-residents in part. People are inspired by the landscapes maybe while traveling and that broadens the reach of these, uh, that broadens the demand for these like Rocky Mountain states. But um, consistently what I've heard from multiple people is that the state of Montana is apparently in like the top five of the 50 states that sell maps. And it's a combination of people like visiting Montana and are like amenable to buying a souvenir of it. But also Montanans themselves really are like really go for local stuff. Montana is not a big state. It's not it's not easy to buy Montana-shaped corn chips at every grocery store. This is uh, this is me making fun of Texas. I'm sorry, Texas. My my in-laws are all in Texas. I've I've seen things, uh, but anyway. So there's not there's not a ton of Montana goods out there. So um, there's this intangible kind of local pride that just manifests as increased map sales, and that is and um, and so now now this is the knowledge i like to try and share with people like as, assuming that i do know anything i mean i'm cer i'm certainly not an american so uh but at nasus i tell like i think i think in the midwest in particular there's a big local pride market that is being underserved by the current like mass commercial landscape so I know like when, when I run into people from like the Great Lakes and the Plains States, I say like, you, you like believe, like believe in yourself, put, put out, put out your passion project. Like there is, um, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at the mass demand that I've experienced for this map. But I also had a lot of really unproductive sales strategies. Like I thought that I would do way more wholesaling and distribution, and that has been not the case at all. I make almost no wholesale orders because maps are big and bulky and map stores themselves are like mostly pivoting away from maps right now. So um, actual map stores, I have never sold anything to a physical map store. Um, I've done better with museum gift shops. Um, I've done especially well in my local area. Now that I'm now that I can flaunt that I'm more of a local artisan, that has opened way more doors than have ever been open. Just like trying to sell maps to traditional map retail map operations. So, so I've done I've done well with museums. Um, my latest wholesale order has gone to a store that specializes in things that are made in Saskatchewan, which is unusual because we are a, we are a rural plains state, essentially. We have very little industrial base, so any Saskatchewan-made product is somewhat unusual. Uh, so I've been, yeah, I've been doing great with museums. I've been doing great with the local interest angle, but the days of the print map industry... The days of the mass print map industry seem to be diminishing. So 
there is still like there's still a large demand for maps that I have seen and even general maps because my wall maps are not really specialized. They have things on them that suit 20 different kinds of interests and obsessions. Uh, and I think that's part of why I've been able to do well with them. But um, even though like they're even though they're like red, they have like that mass market appeal. My my actual sales channels have all been pretty like boutiquey. The world, uh, that world seems like map sales in the internet age seem to be really specialized. Like it's it started to go well for me now. But just getting into business with my Alberta map, there were quite a few like there were quite a few leads that went nowhere, and there were a lot of things that really frustrated me that I like didn't really understand at the time. So, uh, it's it's an interesting place to be in, and like I I am a sole I am a sole proprietor. Uh, it's just me and my. <laughs> And my much put upon husband, who really helped out during the Christmas rush. But uh, every everything I ship out has been rolled by my little hands. So <laughs> um, it's it's an interesting scale to be at. And what did you step in with the Alberta map that you didn't uh, anticipate or that you avoided with the Saskatchewan map? Be my Alberta map was released more at the height of COVID. Not not the height, but it was released like spring, yeah, spring 2021. So all I had was social media marketing. And I was also selling it from my home in Saskatchewan. I thought that at the time, I thought that like, this was a very dumb thing to think, so I can describe it right now and tell everyone that this is wrong. But I grew up in Alberta. I went to school in Alberta. I thought that that would kind of like stay on me like palpably, uh, which is a, which is like, um, that's a pretty common small town anxiety. Uh, many, possibly everyone who's ever moved to a small town that they weren't born in will like, you know, there is there is a way in which you will never fit in. But uh, that's just between, anyway, but that's just between you and the locals. The, uh, the media doesn't, the media did not care or notice. So I thought that I would be able to go to all these, like, I thought I'd be able to go to the museums I grew up in and say like, hey, I'm, I grew up here. I have an amazing product. Would you like to look at it? And I got, I got turned down because my business card said I didn't live anywhere near there. So I, I kind I, for some reason, I was really convinced that that would stay like more visible, but it's actually the opposite. Like I would have to do a lot of work to portray myself as being local to the place where I grew up, went to school and spent most of my life. So, um, so like so con conversely like i had such a hard time being seen as an albertan and all i had was social media channels if i couldn't get any like traditional retail connections um but then when i released saskatchewan like people just looked at my business card 
uh, my business card says that I live in the province. And it, it was a hit because now, like then, the local marketing angle really worked to my advantage. And I actually did one interview that was totally wrong. Um, I have been described by an authoritative source as being a Valmarie native, and that will never ever be true. But that's also the kind of mistake that you just can't pay for. Your neighbors razz you about it? Luckily, no. Uh, we are we are a national park town, so the culture here is not nearly as insular as the the typical village of 120 in the high plains. So, uh, no. So there's lots of. Um, so uh, I haven't I haven't struggled too hard to fit in here because there's I'm not the only eccentric independent artist within two blocks so it's it's been okay but yeah I I was I was just but at first I was legitimately just offended because I was like I worked in your gift shop for an entire summer like is the same manager still there like oh she's not oh Oh, oh, okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> Your star dimmed so hard once you left Alberta. I know, like, gosh, like just as soon as soon as I stopped being a student, like my, my life turned upside down. Like, <laughs> Did you ever do something similar in Alberta where you uh, go to a bunch of conferences with a jeep full of maps and talk to windburn guys with feed supply hats about the map i still need to do that i think like that would certainly be a way to move a few more of them and you know i have no excuse because i recently talked to the mayor of lloydminster the border city that is incorporated in both alberta and saskatchewan so uniquely the mayor of lloydminster goes to both the saskatchewan and the alberta municipal government conferences and he personally told me, you know, um, great map. I think this would also be a hit at the Alberta Municipalities Conference. So I'm never, ever going to get a more clear sign than that. So I really should get over there. But um, it's, a it's actually really fun to just be sitting at home and thinking, like, these trade shows will mostly break even. Like, I can... I can go to all kinds of prairie cities this year and write it off as a business expense. Like, oh, like how many do I want to do? Um, and one one thing I've learned about trade shows as well is that your um, professional events are very different. Like I, I've I've done better at professional events so far because. Um, like, of course, municipal administrators love buying maps. Like, they also do that in their day jobs. Like, they actually have been, like, demanding that I take municipal map contracts, which I'm considering, but haven't gone forward on yet. Uh, so I, I've been, so I've been, like, quite in demand at professional events. Other trade shows, uh, they are shockingly gendered. Uh, trade shows are really... Um, there's male ones and there's female ones. 
I, I don't think that I make a sex exclusive product, but um, the first trade show I signed up for, um, the branding seemed kind of unisex, but I showed up and there were only two male vendors and everything else there was like an MLM product. And the only the only other person selling something like hand or personally made was the other male vendor who all so so neither neither of us sold anything because it turns out that this like so called trade show was actually just kind of like an MLM event for all of the different MLM products to come together and to sell to like people who are interested in looking for that kind of stuff. Uh, actually, it was terrible because there were a couple, there were a few guys at this event as well, and a f it was only the guys who like stepped towards my map table and they were like, "Oh, babe, this looks kind of interesting." But if you're if you're a boyfriend getting dragged to an MLM event, uh, you are not you are not the major financial decision maker in your household. So you could just see like the leash getting pulled back. It was sad. <laughs> so, so that, that was my, that was my disastrous first trade show experience. Uh, so, and like, uh, again, like in, in many ways, I'm actually like less comfortable going to a testosterone soaked, like rural, like small engine and gun show. But uh, based on how my sales have been so far, unfortunately, when you're when you're tapping into that market, um, the I, I have done much better at the testosterone-soaked small engine and gun shows. Hat in which we learn not to malign gun and heavy equipment guys. Yes, I mean it. That's okay. Uh, so many gun guys are also mechanical watch guys. Uh, there are so many little interlocking parts in this world that fit together in strange and unexpected ways. So, <laughs> have you had a show where people come up to your map and have nothing but detailed interrogations about it? Yes, and that is where I thank God that I put the thousand hours into it because uh people try to stump me after getting a certain amount of press coverage people stop trying to stump me as much which was really welcome so getting your name out there does work but all kinds of um the the there's a conference just for um rural county councillors it's it's basically a social event because uh, if you're if you're a rural county councillor you're you're pretty normal like people don't move counties just to become ward one councillor so these are all like pretty much regular people who are kind of like uncomfortably putting on their once a year like these conference suits and get walking the floor with their with their five other counselors i don't know what a count a county counselor is could you explain oh sure and this this is actually me trying to localize myself because there are no counties in saskatchewan they're just called rural municipalities but that's much that's an unusual term so these are municipal counselors who are elected in very small jurisdictions 
uh, it's actually more rare than not that those elections are even contested because of just how small, because of how like small and thinly populated the rural Saskatchewan is. So, so it was a, it was a municipal councillors conference and I'm selling my map. And that was the conference where every old guy comes up and I say, this map has every train station that ever existed. And they all called me on it and looked for their, looked for where their farm was and looked for the five nearest stations. And every time, thank God, like this is the benefit of preparation. All of them said, wow, you really got everyone, including Duro. Why? There, there's, there has been nothing there since 1965. So, um, actually that, that also helped me workshop my claims because I don't have every railway station. Um, I do have everywhere that ever had a grain elevator. Um, cause the number, the reason all of these railways were built in the first place was grain transshipment. That's our local industry. So, Complete grain elevator coverage matters the most for situating yourself in a farmer's world. And that is, that, that's what I've been able to, that's what I've leaned on the most while giving my pitch. And yeah, people don't believe it until they see it, but when they do see it, then they buy it. It's, it's worked really well. That's the landmark. Colorado has the mountains, Saskatchewan has the salt pile and the grain elevator. That's literally true. They're 60 feet tall. So if, uh, and they also, of course, they're also all over the plain states. So I'm sure many people have seen these in passing, but in Saskatchewan, they were an institution because unlike the great plain states, um, we had access to a lot of cheap lumber behind it tariff border <laughs> this is a long-standing policy issue so there's a bunch of cheap lumber in canada that can't really that can't be easily exported so saskatchewan is the land of the wooden grain elevator every town no matter how small would have more than one back in the day so and every town was seven miles apart so 60 feet tall seven miles apart I did a I did a GIS view shed calculation and you literally would be always in view of one from pretty much any point in Saskatchewan. Um, nowadays they're super endangered because as obsolete industrial structures often are, they go from being ubiquitous to super rare really quickly because the ubiquity makes people take them for granted. It's actually a lot like lighthouse preservation. So when I do my map of Newfoundland, I'm going to have a leg up. But uh, no, the the emotional impact of the grain elevator. Um, would you believe I'm also the chair of the Valmarie Grain Elevator Museum? So this is, uh, I guess this isn't, I, I guess the tie-in to cartography is going to get a little tenuous here if I keep talking. But um, that's, that's just the kind of thing, like, it, that really, like, from a sales perspective, 
that kind of thing that lets you situate yourself in like the local mythology is um pretty good for hawking maps uh which which surprised me like i i became interested in all this stuff just like uh slacking off in class and sneaking out to the northern and rural affairs library on my campus so um so every, every time i have positive reinforcement that i actually manage to like suit that I, every time i get positive reinforcement that like this weird intellectual project has actually managed to break through to regular people i'm i'm overjoyed like that's making maps is fun enough like i would do it even if no one wanted them but uh it's it's wonderful to feel useful so <laughs> Just to drill down on this, were your grain silo research, was that from documents or old aerial imagery, or how did you nail every single one? Luckily, like, it is a matter of some academic interest. Um, and Saskatchewan, actually, like, I wish I had gone to the University of Saskatchewan because it has, I think, the nation's only historical GIS lab. So... A historical GIS lab, like that's just my thing. I I'm gonna like knock on their door one day and demand to be taken inside and not leave. So, but because because of projects like that, there's a lot of digitized information about Canadian railways. So, uh, I can, uh, in particular, there's one. The University of Alberta has one particular endowment that caused a lot of railway stuff to get digitized and to be left for the public on a public website, which during COVID, of course, was stupidly invaluable. So, um, so mostly I just, the, the hundred years of license books were my primary source. Um, those have all of the names and then the company and the capacity of each elevator. Locating the names on the map takes, there's a few different ways to go about it. I went over topographic maps from different points in the last hundred years as well. Um, there's a surprisingly high number of names that jump around as place names do. Um, because if a railway siding only ever has an elevator and no other businesses, but then maybe there's a general store a mile away and then the elevator closes, but the general store stays open for 10 more years, then the place name will usually end up being remembered as the general store and not the railway siding. And in some cases, the railway siding becomes like so depersonalized so like depersonalized that it would be inaccurate to market where it actually was because there's a nearby landmark that's remembered much better as having the same name so that's more judgment calls that's the benefit that's another benefit of just driving around and looking at signage and like talking to random people but uh, mostly historical maps usually like for railways um, one of the big purposes of making all these historical maps was to 
expands British control over the prairies. So the railways were part and parcel of that. Like the Canadian government has always had a very cozy relationship with our biggest carriers. So, uh, so lots of railway information out there, but put it, putting it all together in a way that is both true to history while also being relevant to how people remember things. Ah, that's the fun part. And, and of course, um, yeah, and then I have to say my like critical geographer thing of like, oh, and if it's hard enough just talking about railways, like, you know, uh, I'm at like, and then think about all the interests that the railways trampled over because uh, a lot of Saskatchewan's political history is about all of the, <laughs> it's about uh, the province is constantly trying to compel the railways to to provide more service and to be more considerate and to uh and to not just treat us as a as a as a call as a colonial backwater i again like railway history has been a surprisingly prominent like marketing point about this map but uh there is there is there is other stuff on there as well and more more rare but something something that does make me excited and happy is that i have talked to a few indigenous groups who get really excited seeing what i've done with the history of their group in the same way that old farmers get excited when they see that their old railway station is on the map so i am gl I, as far as i have from what i have seen all of it's a balancing act uh, i try I, I want to be able to satisfy as many different people as possible so every, every time i get proof that i pulled it off then i'm excited when it was all done you stood back from it did you think oh, i should have spent another six months driving around looking for x or checking x do you think you do you think you nailed it with this one this this is good. this is such a bad comparison but sometimes in university like i knew i was going to pass a class and it was april and the snow was just starting to melt cuz western canada is a wonderful place um the snow was just starting to melt the sun was just starting to get high and by finals week i did, i was just about done I, I was just about done with the subject matter um releasing a map always feels like that it's never done there just comes a point when i'm like i've gone over this i've gone over that i've gone over this and that um i could keep going over it more systematically but enough enough is enough like i've gone through like i've gone through every grid cell systematically twice like this 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 is good enough like um so <laughs> so all of the all of the different feature classes like I, I i do publish it once i'm confident that everything is mostly done but just prying myself away from it after that much time is a strange emotional process like Frank, the like 
the better part of me never wants to stop working on it. So I kind of have to weaponize my like boredom to say like, you know, you like you could you could do another round of revisions, but it's so nice out. Like, don't don't you want to get on with the rest of your life? So um, this is almost like a dirty secret. I know I should say that like when it's done, like Angel's song comes down from the heavens and I know that the world is ready for an incredible new reference map. But uh, no, it, it puts me in a strange emotional place. <laughs> <laughs> like you look at it and think, oh, there's so much more I could do, but no one who doesn't share your skull would ever notice that yes yeah it's well at, at a certain point it's like squeezing a balloon like you're not getting anything out of looking at it and fit and doing even more fidgeting yeah and like and so much of what i do even in the product development process is based on what people say and do so uh and this has already happened i knew that for my second printing i re I have to go to trade shows and watch old guys like touch the map. I have to see how people like walk up from across the room. I need to know what they're going to put their fingers on first. Um, old guys like to touch maps. That that's 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 a fact. So and that that actually did make the difference. There's because no matter what, like once 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 it's been unveiled to the public they will always surprise you like what people want what people focus on so so much of my design starting from alberta and now like carrying over into this so much of my design is based around those in-person like extended tours like i am constantly scrutinizing what people focus on what they notice what they don't notice and there's nothing else like it. So I guess if I have, like, if if I want to give map making advice, like, if you're not frequently showing your work to regular people to, like, focus group it, do. Like, it's, it's, it's irreplaceable. Uh, even the fact that I'm able to sell to farmers, like, it all started when I showed... Um, all of my maps have a super fine road network. So if you look really closely, you can just barely see every single road in the province. Uh, that's there because I noticed that farmers look for their nearest town and they start counting out intersections to find their property. So I could have shown, like I could have shown survey parcels, which would be of a similar level of detail. Um, but once I saw how people interacted with the map, once I found out that farmers count intersections with their thumbs, that made me realize I'm, I'm going to change this and this in the design so that when so that farmers can find their properties more easily walking across the room and seeing the map for the first time. And like from a sales perspective, I think that has really paid off as well. So, yeah, so my second edition, not too many changes because I am like, I am getting good at this. <laughs> but 
The biggest thing actually is what I learned at the Rural Municipality Convention. Every Saskatchewan rural municipality has both a name and a number. And the numbers are sequential. They start with number one in the southeastern corner and uh, it goes row by row. So I, I showed the names because I knew that about 80% of rural people use the names before the numbers. But um, at the Rural Municipal Conference, um, I met people who referred to their home municipality by the number. They'd say, where's number 17? And so that made me think, okay, like I correctly surmised that most people use the names. And that was, that was why I sold out at that show because the municipal names were a huge selling point, of course, to the political leaders of all these named places. But enough people asked for the numbers, I realized I've got to show both. So what I'm what I should what I'm doing like hopefully this this very weekend is I'm going to I'm going to finalize the style and the font and <laughs> all the other fine things that cartographers know about. Um, but I want I want to commit to a style for those municipal numbers. Be I want them to be unobtrusive, but if you are looking for them, they should be there. And that's that's a design philosophy you have to hold yourself to for any reference map. Uh, there's just too much different stuff. You have to, and this is also the best, this is also the best advice I ever got. I didn't come up with this by myself. Um, but on, on a reference map, you want to find like the, you want to find the minimum possible level of emphasis for something to be discernible and that's pretty much where you want to leave it like you want things to be there for people who are looking for them but if you go any further you throw off the balance that underlies something with this many different feature types and this many different layers so and that's that's you know reference maps there's nothing else like them uh, this is a wonderful little subset of the industry to be in but that so that that balance and learning what people are going to be searching and scrutinizing for um it help it helps to have it helps to have the theoretical understanding it helps to be told what i just said um but also the the like focus group in person experience is so valuable for who any for any map because every map is meant to communicate i think i'm sure there's like a nasus talk about how that's not true but if you are trying to communicate the i i just i love watching over I love watching over people's shoulders when they interact with what I do. Like I can't get enough of it. It just it just makes me gleeful every time every time I get to observe. So that's that's one of my secrets. Who told you that thing about the reference map? That was uh, Dave Imus, the reference map king of rural Oregon. I still think you guys should collaborate on the whole North South American continent. Make it make a three story map. 
he ha- he has some disciples. Uh, I know my my colleague Jeff Clark in Vancouver has, I believe, put out an essential geography map of the Pacific Northwest uh, with Dave's like blessing and cop and using his stylistic choices like quite directly. Um, all, all I can say is that I'm very inspired by Dave. So you can see all kinds of things on my map that look very close to what he does. But um, where where my map looks different than Dave's map, I like to I um, I've gotten to the point where I can defend most of those choices. Um, not 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 that it's not that it's come up with him like. Like he 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 set out to make the best map of Oregon that exists. I set out to make the best map of Saskatchewan that exists. Those are two different jurisdictions. So a lot of the design fundamentals are going to be nearly identical. But uh, where mine is different, I can almost always explain why. Um, because like like for instance, the great affinity of rural Saskatchewanians for railway history. I'm fairly sure that's not as much the case in Oregon. So my map does way more for railways and that's like that's based on my locale. So so my my other favorite thing about like Nasus and similar like get-togethers is um I really like seeing I really like seeing which design decisions are driven by locality, like which which unique like which unique stylistic choices come out of like necessity or custom like even if it's so specific that i will never ever have any chance to use it in my work like that's that that kind of stuff is still my favorite thing to come across in other maps yeah the particularities especially with reference maps which are a combination of i guess the most general and the most specific they're necessarily I guess at least thousand hours labors of love while at the same time being so broad that anyone can wander over and put their finger on it and find something accessible. Yeah. And that's, that's the fun, like invisible part of it because like, even like when someone walks up to my table for the first time ever and like only takes 10 seconds to put his thumb right on his property, I'm like, you, you don't notice, but I've done a thousand hours of work to cut down on the number of seconds it took you to do that. <laughs> uh, so wait, you got two out of 13 territories and provinces down. Are you going for all of them? That's a great question. Uh, I think probably none of them is going to be more lucrative than Saskatchewan, I suspect, because so much of my sales has been driven by again the the local marketing angle so i'd like to do the rest at my leisure and i'm not badly set up for that but i don't have a natural next step to go to yet i think like frankly i need to commit to a long extended road trip to my next jurisdiction whichever it may be and just let that shape the project because I've done I've done a lot of the basics for British Columbia and Manitoba, but uh, yeah, all the stuff that I usually start thinking of after a trip is not there yet. 
so um and so then which which province would you rather drive through um for most people bc would easily take the lead over manitoba i'm a little i'm a little more ambivalent about it but um if i ever am if i still care about money then i'll do all of canada and that which is um which was dave imus's motivation for his essential geography of the united states by the way uh there are multiple interviews where he just said like you know why do you make this incredible map of the whole country he said cash flow issues yeah so like if if my furnace explodes then it, it'll be time to do canada maybe don't you also have a uh job i freelance like i do a lot of different contracts for different people most of them thank god nowadays are gis and mapping related so i get to do i get to do what i'm distinguished at which is a good deal but uh the majority of my income last year was retail sales which was a shock um I, I still need to tell the government exactly how much that was actually but um but i i didn't i did not think that in 2022 the majority of my income would be retail map sales like i'm kind of ahead of the 10-year plan here that was legitimately a shock because i always said when i get to this point i'm turning people down i'm you know i'm too i'm uh i'm tuning in and dropping out man but uh, of course, once you're in the habit of eagerly soliciting freelance contracts, uh, it becomes a part of you that's kind of difficult to wind up. So, well, if you do a good job, they won't stop calling you. Yes, that's that is also where I'm at. Um, let what what am I allowed to disclose? Well, this this just wound up, so I'll say um, one of those contracts was actually my dream job. Um, this year, I got to be a political party's lead consultant on Canada's redistricting process. And so that was super cool because this, this is something also like I'm self-taught. I have always been a huge nerd for electoral boundaries. So getting the call to actually work with a room full of legislators to make some, to make some proposals that get like read out to the commission, that was really fun. Now, uh, redistricting, it's something that everyone screws with for their self-interest. So in Canada, the process is fair, but it's fair because all of the parties make self-interested submissions. And there is a retired judge who gets the not enviable job of striking a compromise that nobody wants. So, so I can proudly say, like, I did partisan redistricting work, but... I was not contributing to the downfall of society, which is not something that all redistricting consultants can say. Uh, but regardless, uh, regardless, that was so cool. I can't believe they picked little old me uh, just because just because I expressed my sincere lifelong interest in the subject. So I, I'm still getting over that, but I, I've also, I've also done stuff for some publications. Um, actually a lot of what I do is political and election related. So it's funny that, um, well, 
my reference maps aren't apolitical. Uh, there's a lot of stuff, um, if you ask people to define what politics is, um, you'll get so you'll get some odd definitions anyway and my reference maps will not like do not fall short of it but um it's funny being like mr geography people find me very non-threatening uh but cartography is communication and one big part of communication is the persuasion so uh I, I've gotten to dip, I've gotten to dip my toes in some interesting worlds through all this, but um, overall, like, I'm really glad that the reference maps are doing well, because from a life perspective, that is what I most want to be doing for the rest of my life, probably. Do you have any interest in doing ultra large scale maps? Like, here's your neighborhood, here's your town. The regional scale is probably where I'm the most, like, I'm a road tripper. I love driving. I, I love road trips. I am so, other, like, lots of, lots of cartographers are, like, outdoorsy. Actually, at, at Nasus, I feel like, I feel like I almost stick out because I'm not, I, I'm not that, I, I'm not Columbia and Eddie Bauer, like. You're not a hiker, you're a driver. <laughs> it makes me feel like a bit of a schlub sometimes, but I am like, I am a road adventurer. So the regional state province scale works really well for that. I would say that's, it meshes perfectly with the type of travel that I do the most. Uh, but an emerging thing for me is... Uh, I'm also starting to do tourism maps, which is why it helped, which, which is why it was such a great business idea to ingratiate myself with like, with municipal politicians and municipal government administrators. Uh, so I'm right now I'm working on a tourist map of Valmarie. Um, I don't know how they picked me over all the other cartographers in town, but they did. Uh, and so that's that's been really fun in a different way because the reference map ethos is still there. Like, I'm still holding everything in balance and I'm still constantly thinking, like, what is truly important? Like, what needs to be shown? What should be shown? What will people be mad if it, like, what will people be mad about if it's missing? What will people be mad about if it's, if it's, printed there's some um because maps drive tourist traffic and some landowners don't want to be seen as the quickest way from a to z your trespass fuel yes so that's been a lot of fun because so much of the consideration is the same but with a tourist map i also get to whip out my little illust i also get to like um, I get to be a cartoonist like I always wanted. I get to illustrate buildings, which is still like not as fun as drawing comics, but it's pretty fun. So, yeah, I was going to ask you about that, like illustrated maps. I mean, you you do like to draw and you're a 10 star cart computer cartographer. You could be the first to have bo have a, a foot in both worlds. Yeah, well, frankly, like when I see the there was a big trend of cartoon tourist maps. Like when I was at another trade show, uh, one of those municipal administrators 
literally like unfurled a cartoon tourist map from the 80s of her town and in hindsight i'm like this lady was walking around with this thing like whoa, whoa wow um but some of the some of the artists and the technicians who specialized in that stuff 40 years ago i swear it's like a lost art like you just don't find the you just don't see that kind of thing being produced anymore by people who like truly love to draw but also have that like drafting school background that's basically extinct nowadays so like nothing nothing but respect for the last generation of silly hand-drawn tourist maps like i am not there yet have you ever heard of uh, bob waldmeyer no i have not i'll send you his work he uh he spent his whole life on route 66 in his van and long gray beard, he'd pitch into a college town and like do his own reconnoitering. Here's the pizza place, here's the laundromat, make a beautifully illustrated tourist map and then get the local businesses to sponsor it, you know, get gas money and then move on to the next town. And I have his uh, map of, he did the entire state of California. That's, it's like a fever dream. It's entirely encrusted with text and illustrations. It comes with a 12 page key like you'd love it i'm going to send it to you excellent that's you know i have to say when when i was like visioning different lifestyles at about the time i was graduating i like i i thought about being a, a transient hermit but for for the time being i'm a settled one that's good i'm glad you got a a, a post box to call home do you have any cartographer living or dead whose work people should check out? I already talked up Dave Imus, who is for sure my number one inspiration, and he is still alive. You can even phone him, which is actually how I got started. Uh, I <laughs> uh, Really, I, I cold called him a month after I graduated, and I said, like, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been thinking maybe I could publish a reference map. How did it go for you? And he quite eagerly talked a lot about the business and design side so um for that i am forever grateful but his work is also incredible and stands stands very highly on its own even if you don't hear it explained by the man himself so uh dave dave is super inspirational as a guy who is is also in business as a sole proprietor. Like he has his own warehouse. I'm, I, th I think he also rolls his own tubes. Um, and that when I first heard about it, I thought that's just what I want to do. And uh, I got really lucky because it actually worked out. So in, in the 21st century, like in the 21st century, he has got to be one of a kind like he he really impresses me uh historical inspiration um lots of i'm a sucker for any of the hyped up like cardo stuff that people present about so i'm like yeah oh swiss topo is beautiful like i'm i i'm not too original when it comes to talking about historical maps that I think are an incredible source of craft and inspiration on the technical side. But I also talk a lot about the importance of locale 
and design choices that might be perfectly suited for one area while being confusing or irrelevant anywhere else. And so in that sense, I always try to, um, my weakness is I love almost like outsider maps. I love seeing maps made by non-cartographers covering the same subject matter as me because there is just no faster way to get inside someone else's head than to see like, you are not a cartographer, like your business card doesn't say cartographer on it, but this is the task that has fallen to you. Like, how do, how do you represent your world? So uh, for instance, one of my coolest contracts that I'm the most excited about is uh, I am beginning to work with the Hutterites, who are a group of Christian communists, very similar to the Amish. They, they wear suspenders. Uh, the men have big, long beards. They speak a heritage dialect of German. But unlike the Amish, they are industrial farmers. So they have no qualms about industrial technology, which has made them very successful. So the, the Hutterites can be found all over Western Canada. Um, they also exist in some of the U.S. Plain states. And, you know, believe it, and, you know, as it so happens, of course, they're the perfect audience for printed maps because they have religious communal objections to the promulgation of cell phones among their members. So... I'm working on a colony roadmap that will hopefully be the best of its kind ever. Uh, it will need to be updated every single year because the, the Hutterite birth rate is quite high and colonies split like beehives once they reach population 150. So in the last year already, there are five new ones in Saskatchewan. But... Uh, which So those are the real new towns that I should have asked my mom to drive me to. But, uh, but anyway, so as part of this project, I've been looking at Hutterite maps, like from inside the community, like informal, formal. Some are really rough. Some are produced by expert technicians. Um, one, of my part, one of the partners in this project is a print shop manager. Uh, one of the one of the colonies runs a print shop, a, a sign shop. So his work is like he again, he, he look he he he's a man who wears he's a bearded man who only wears suspenders, but he runs a modern industrial print shop. So his maps of the colonies are quite good, but he so we've we've been like so far we've been working quite well together. But just seeing, like, seeing this alien society, really, like, the Hutterites do, the Hutterites do not practice private property. They think it's sinful. So they live, like, they live very close by, but their society is very different than ours. And so um, seeing, seeing their maps has been so cool. It just drives me wild uh, having that kind of perspective. 
of all this subject matter that's so familiar, like all the same towns and cities and roads that I cover, but just seen through the eyes of a completely different society. It's crazy. So, uh, like many things I've said this interview, this is a really long way to answer your question, but I do, I try to have an eye for the outsider and for the quirky stuff. And it, especially anything like specialized that like wasn't any, anything for a specialized community that was never intended for the public. Like that, that's where I learn a lot. Like you, that's the most, that's just one of the best ways to learn about the priorities and the professional background. Like you're, it's like you're stepping into someone else's life that, that it's as close as I get. It's so that like cultural anthropology, like through maps is one of my side interests. Yeah. It's like you're stepping behind their eyes, really. Like here's how, here's the world according to them. Are you going to drive or like roam around the Hutterite areas? Luckily, again, like talking about this community, they're so traditional, but they always surprise you with, they, they love modern technology, like more than we do in their own way. So like, for instance, um, a couple local Hutterite boys came, they actually came out for the day to help me unload my last offset print order, which weighed 3000 pounds. And um, there was a CRT TV in the house. And they said like, oh, they said, what's that? And I was like, oh, you boys, that's a television. Like we have those in the outside world. And they were like, no, we know what a TV is. Why is it so thick? What's that thing at the back? <laughs> they were just calling you old. Yeah. <laughs> Are they just gonna give you a bunch of GPX files for you to queue up? They already have the, they already have the GPX files. Um, they, they, they have already got that. Um, the, the groundwork needs to be done for access because rural road maintenance comes in, um, there's a mind boggling, every municipality gets to decide its own like service schedule for its road network. So across Saskatchewan, there are so many different standards of road maintenance that stop at the border and stitching any of that together to make a rural road map takes a lot of boot leather so i i think i think as much as possible is going to be done over phone and email but the goal is to contact the local authorities in all hundred colonies to find out which roads are passable in the winter yeah that's a load-bearing part of the map like if that's that's one of the things they need to mark. Yes, and that's like uh, coincidentally, my church is just um, we're planning to import a new priest from Africa, and I so I've been thinking like um, how like and so actually being a cartographer is awesome because I have such a head start on this, but I'm always thinking like how do I explain my civilization to someone from a different continent. And so I'm like, I'm like in Canada, like even though we are a developed country, 
Like the roads are impassable at unpredictable times for eight months of the year. <laughs> like... I luckily have a very specific cultural artifact to show you that's also five feet tall for night for eighty nine ninety nine. Pastor. A few people at church really like chased me down and insisted on buying one, but I uh I tried uh I, I didn't go out of my way to bring my little money changing set up into the temple so have you started the how to write project yeah i've been like um honestly uh, i put i put it down between january and april but i just picked it back up and i've uh i i drew on swiss topo to come up with a super high contrast legible like roads only style because again my reference map is a really fine balance but a roadmap has this this is going to be this is for a much more specific purpose so i finally i i've i've come up with a decent like super high visibility map style and now i think we're ready to go ahead with more of the data work i can't wait to well i probably won't ever get to see those but Wait, can you show those to people? Oh <laughs> yeah, I will. I will be selling them. Um, the fun part is that this map is going to be so specialized. And um, anyway, I'm a fun business tip. I the I'm probably going to charge a few hundred bucks for one printed copy because if you're not on the colonies and you do business with the colonies you're going to really, really, really need this map and I can charge whatever I want for it. So... <laughs> Constrained supply. It's like, do you, do you want to be trapped in a horrible road in the worst time? No? Well, an ounce of prevention is worth 300 Canadian. But you know, as long as I keep the partners happy because, like... <laughs> Uh, yeah, as as long as the colonies themselves are pleased with the product and the the distribution there, I will be handled by the colony print shop. I think so. I'll just have I'll have an interesting intercultural role. I'm excited to see it. Well, I gotta say, uh, thanks so much, Alex, for given me all this i mean i've only just scratched the surface of what you do to make these maps happen but i feel like i got a little bit of inkling and a whole a whole new raft of questions to get into over the next 10 years thank you so much evan you have your work cut out for you condensing any and editing any of this but uh, it is always a pleasure to talk about what i do so thank you to see Alex's maps, visit awmcfee.ca, awmcphee.ca. For show notes and bonus content, visit veryexpensivemaps.com. This episode is brought to you by the Map Consultancy, supplier of professional data-driven maps for your decks, reports, walls, and events. Visit themapconsultancy.com to see what good maps can do for you. I'm Evan Applegate. I'm a cartographer, and you should make your own maps. 
No one wants to see dull, ugly maps. If you want to get through to your customers, you need the best cartography money can buy. The Map Consultancy will create maps with your data and your branding, PowerPoint decks, annual reports, conferences and events, your office walls. The Map Consultancy does it all. Visit themapconsultancy.com and get the best maps today.